2: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fees, 24 monthly bill credits for walk well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. CT Mobile.com. And welcome to another edition of More Outdoors coming up in the 8 to 9 o'clock hour. Josh Goins, Jeff Foyles, and also Ronnie Doucette of the Flyway Federation are going to join us. And we'd love for you to give us a report on how your duck season went. It's pretty much over except for a couple of youth days in Louisiana and Mississippi, and otherwise, uh, it's over till next year. Uh, you will be asked uh, to comment on future regulation changes as far as the zones, the dates. Uh, what do you think it's going to take to turn around this, this late bad seasons we've had? If you look at the trend, uh, it appears that the migration has been altered, and there are a lot of theories and controversies about why that is. We're going to kick all that around, and we'd love to hear from you. You can do it by calling us at 504-260-6368 or send us a text message. comes right in here to the studio at 870-870. Um, and, of course, they're going to be having public hearings. That will be coming up about uh, those season dates, and you'll be invited to attend and comment, as you will, on the Speckled Trout uh, management hearings that have already been set for the month of February. They're being held all over the state. And, Martha, we're joined by Rex uh, from Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. He said there's been some changes in the uh, times on him. Rex, uh, thanks for calling in. Tell us what the, the changes on those uh, original dates and times and locations that was posted on the website. Sorry.
1: Yeah, can you hear me, Don?
2: Yeah, we we'll are hear you
0: gotcha.
2: fine. Uh, good deal. Um, I was listening to you earlier, and
1: uh, you had it almost correct there have been a couple little changes um the department was asked to accommodate people who are trying to get off of work and five o'clock wouldn't work so they moved all the meetings to six o'clock with one exception and that's the one in Ruston. there is going to be one in north louisiana in Ruston, and there was a little bit of a an access concern to one of the meetings so i think the lake no, i think i know the lake charles meeting has been moved to the calcasieu parish extension office and that's on 7101 gulf highway uh, all of this is on the Wildlife and Fisheries website, and uh, they sent out an amendment to the public meetings uh, announcement. So should be easy, okay, easy now,
2: to find. Now, yeah, the one ahead. in Ruston, that was originally set for one. That is still at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, the one in Ruston? That's or that time the, been
1: changed? That's, yeah, that, that's still at 1 o'clock.
2: The other ones are all beginning at 6 p.m. Okay, I think that's good. to give people a little bit more of a chance to get there. I agree. Uh, t- if you can, tell us about the format of these meetings. I've had some people that are interested in attending, but they wanted to know, uh, is it going to be a and a or are they going to be asked to sign in and make a comment, and, and what will be the, the initial sure. presentation that they'll see?
1: Well, Don, earlier you said I was with Wallace and Fisheries, but you know I'm with LSU and
2: we're working with Wallace. Oh, okay. I thought this was a different yeah. Rex. Oh, Rex Caffey, no, okay. It's, it's, it's now I know who I'm talking with.
3: There
2: you <laughs> go, yeah. Um, so, it's going to
1: be a, a, a new type of approach. Um, there'll still be an opportunity for public comment, um, but the, the main interaction is going to be electronic. We're going to have anywhere from 120 to 150 uh, devices available for people to remotely vote in real time during uh, the presentation by Jason Adrian's. That's um, cool. If that, that is. If that, right. And, and and it's it's pretty impressive to see, and you get more of a meaningful exchange, I think, in that sort of uh dynamic but if we have a bigger turnout we might at the new orleans meeting or Slidell, l Rouge. uh we'll have paper copies of that there will also be surveys available uh on the website of wildlife and fisheries later on that mirror what we do in the public meeting so again the corporate extension service is working with wildlife and fisheries we've been meeting weekly for about the last month and uh i think it'll be an interesting exchange and looking forward to the meetings.
2: Rex, do you, I don't know if you have this much inside baseball on it, but will there be specific scenarios brought forward? When I had Jason Adrians on, he kind of gave us, uh, and, and it's, you can find it on the website, you know, if you do this, this will save that. But there wasn't any specific plan, like uh, an exact uh, slot limit or exact uh, minimum size and reduction of daily creel. Will, is that going to be ready by this time or is that coming later? So uh,
1: the short answer is
2: yes, there will be specific uh, options.
1: But we believe and the wildlife fisheries believe that the the word preliminary is very important because there's obviously a process that has to happen, uh, not just the public input, but the commission um, would have to to weigh in in probably April or or soon thereafter. So there'll be five preliminary options, as I recall, um, and maybe a more uh, restrictive one if people prefer that. And they'll be able to vote uh, comparing them to the status quo, which is the current regulation, and also to compare them to each other. So, yes, the answer is there'll be a, an opportunity to weigh in on some specifics.
2: That's great. Um, you know, I've been trying to express to, to listeners and fishermen how important it is to show up at these meetings. I've been to a lot of the public hearings with regard to the hunting seasons and you know you look at social media and you got people griping and making suggestions and this but you know do, do they put any faith in that do, is do they search social media and take those opinions to heart or uh, this is where it really counts because i think once someone attends one of these meetings and they see the data and they get a better understanding of the science behind it they can certainly make a more informed recommendation or decision or suggestion of what they'd like to see and I think that's why they, they're given more credibility when they go to one of these meetings and participate than just someone who calls up and screams and says what they want and has right. nothing to back up what they're saying.
1: I think it's a combination. Um, Don, I'll tell you last Sunday it was raining and I was going back and forth with Jason by email. We were both looking at social media, seeing what the comments were on his preliminary presentation that was posted. And there are some good ideas out there that, uh, one of them we've already mentioned was these meetings need to be moved to 6 p.m. instead of 5. Uh, there were some location suggestions. Um, but, yeah, the the best interaction is one that's informed. I think the best opportunity for that will be the public meetings, but it won't be the only opportunity. Uh, there will be, again, electronic survey will be posted, and it will have access to all the details that you mentioned that make for a more informed decision.
2: And, and another one of the, the questions I'm getting commonly asked is, how long will this process take before we see any changes in might my come question. about?
0: going
2: to next question. I'm sorry.
1: Martha, you said something, too? I, I missed it.
3: Oh, I was going to say he read my mind. I was just about to ask you the same thing. When does all of this information get put to use? Yeah.
1: Um, I want to be careful not to, you know, him, the department, in, the, uh, in a calendar corner, so to speak, but they are trying really hard to get uh, something in place this spring, if possible, before fishing really kicks off of course that'll depend on wow. how the public comment period goes uh whether or not they can get something listed in regulations but uh that's the goal whether or not it happens or not we'll see how things play out
3: well i think you're going to have a pretty big turnout for this because it seems a lot of people are very invested in this so hopefully you get a lot of um in- input from the public
1: yeah we're looking forward to it we're, we're hoping it'll be a good positive interaction and uh as you said, they will start uh, Monday after next. So first one will be on the 10th in gray.
2: All right, Rex, thanks so much for, for updating us on that. We really appreciate it. Anytime you got any information, please feel free to share it with our audience. Good deal. Take care. Thanks, Rex. All righty, Rex Caffey with the uh, LSU. He's uh, not quite wildlife and fisheries, but uh, he works with an agency that does a lot of research and uh, data accumulation responsible for helping manage it Reminds our
3: me of two quotes. One, you can't win if you don't play, and you can't complain if you no don't won't. say. <laughs>
2: That's exactly right. All right, we come back after this. Uh, we're going to get to some of your text messages that came in that we did not have time a little earlier, and also get Martha to give us a little bit of a forecast for the offshore fishing, which is uh, getting close to prime time. If you fish offshore in Louisiana, you like tuna, yellowfin, blackfins, and wahoo, uh now might be the time to do it. She'll give you some tips on how to get started in it and what to look for. We're back right after this. Martha you want to get to text messages or, yeah. or talk about offshore fishing first. Oh uh, let's
3: get to the text messages okay. first. Uh somebody from Mississippi, that's a six oh one, uh wants to know when is your grandnephew gonna be on again.
2: Oh Drew well, is
3: the next Don Dubuque.
2: <laughs> he may way surpass Don Dubuque. He's got a real <laughs> head start at nine years old. Um well we're taking him turkey hunting and he's gotten uh just about every legal animal you can Shoot, except a turkey. So maybe this will be his year, and we'll get him on if he gets a turkey.
3: The grand slam. Talking about not Drew even double digits year old.
2: You ever see some of the videos? He yes. He's incredible. Yeah, and
3: he's, he's not good. afraid to talk on camera. No, either. he's not. Or on the radio. Well, tomorrow's Groundhog Day, the day we celebrate the invention of sausage. Why? Groundhog. Get, get it? Get it?
2: Okay. <laughs> Got it. Good morning. We're to have, the have a ground deer day too. Yeah. You know?
3: <laughs> Are you supposed to tip the bait man when buying live bait? You don't have to, but I'm sure it's always appreciated. A couple dollars probably would well, It depends. You know, if the guy
2: is, uh, you know, does a little over and above and you think it's a help and maybe he picks you all the biggest ones or maybe gives you a baker's dozen or something like that, you know, yeah, there wouldn't be anything wrong with doing that for sure.
3: Good morning. Did the Water Buffalo Killers in Venice ever make it to the bad boys? No, because they were not in the wrong. They
2: were not ever charged with anything or cited. So uh, it's kind of a long story, and maybe one day we'll talk more about it. But it's uh, a lot of events. But they, they did nothing illegal. Uh, they the were, they were flame, arrested. Though. And, the, yeah, and, you know, I guess you could say it may be an ethical question. But uh, as far as legality, they have not been charged and are not going to be charged with any violations.
3: Bo says, good morning, Don. Just a note to say that I wake up every Saturday morning with you. That kind of sounds funny. <laughs> it does. Yeah, I'm not Keep sure. Keep up the I, great I, I Appreciate work. that. I,
2: I'm sure he means it in a radio way. He means, yeah, yeah, I do. Too. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Bo. Uh,
3: congratulations to Dave Cavell for winning the Cavell. Sa- Cavell. David
2: Cavell. Yeah. For winning the I Southeast didn't Division
3: that. of the Regional Bassmaster Championship at Lake Okeechobee. Good luck to him as he represents in the national. championship. Let me championship. tell
2: you, David Cavell is a first-class guy. He is just uh, not only is a really good fisherman. He's just a great guy. Congratulations, Dave. You really have earned it.
3: Jeff Laborde from Pensacola, Florida says, the best show in the morning, even if I move from Louisiana listening to Saturday morning in my big truck.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Pensacola, Florida. Yeah, we're getting out.
3: David Hubble over in Alabama, he says, Don, I hope you can get some Kansas City. Wait a minute. Start off
2: from the beginning. He welcomed you back. Welcome back, Martha. It's been a long time (laughs) since you've been on the show, you know.
3: Don I hope you can get some great Kansas City burnt ends while up in Kansas. My brother lives in Kansas City and introduced me to the authentic barbecue. If you're ever near there, I can get you some recommendations. Safe travels, David Hubble. All
2: right. Now, burnt ends. You know what that was? I don't I really never n- I've it.
3: never had it. I've heard of it. It's I guess kind of like what it says, but ends of what? It's it's uh it's beef, I'm pretty sure.
2: But I mean, is it burnt and please um, elaborate david (laughs) yeah david if you're listening let us know what cuts do burnt ends come from or anybody else that might know
3: what baits do you recommend for bass fishing in kayaks um i think a a plastic crawfish is good this time of year um on the bottom spinner baits when it's sunny Mm -hmm. um those are my two go-tos i guess
2: top water top
3: water but you have to you know it has to be an the the bass are finicky with the weather. If it's a cold, cloudy day, I don't have as much luck with them as I do on a warm, sunny day. Mm-hmm. And that's that.
2: All right. Well, we had someone, you know, we asked about anyone would like us to take a celebrity or someone. Here's one. Take Trump. He will make fishing for Specs great again. That's from Tony Goce. Or here, depending on where you're from, how you pronounce that. I say Goche.
3: I I have a feeling if somebody made a hat that said that and sold it in Louisiana.
2: Hey, maybe you just gave somebody an idea. Yep. Makes speckled trout fishing a great again. Okay, we got to the text messages. Let's talk a little bit about offshore. You getting ready to do that? Yep. We talked about it. it's been a while since you've been on. It might be a while since we get you back because you got some trips booked.
3: We do, but we've got the tempest of February weather to contend with. Um, most charters took pretty much all of December off, but I have been seeing several boats go out in January, hit and miss, when the weather allows. Most targeted wahoo early this year. Uh, looks like the wahoo kind of moved in a little earlier than normal, but the elephant bite is really good right now, too, and it's encouraging me because the last two years haven't been stellar tuna fishing years, and right now most of them are not really being caught close like they would be in a few weeks. I guess they haven't really migrated close yet to the spots that we typically target them in February, late February into March. So if you're planning a tuna trip and you're going to book with a charter, honestly, you want to be in a big boat this time of year because with the weather changing so quickly, you want to be in something that's going to be safe. And especially if you're going to make long runs this time of year, they're long runs now, but in the next couple weeks, they'll get closer. And there's an area that charters go that's about 30 miles out that'll be, getting popular in the next couple weeks. But right now, from what I've been seeing, since I haven't been out tuna fishing yet, is that most of them are still on the rigs and the drill ships. So that tells me that they're pretty far out in blue water, but they're chewing. I've seen a lot of nice numbers come in. Mm -hmm. Decent-sized fish, not those giant 200, 150-pound fish, but 6 to 10 good 50 to 70-pound fish. And honestly, that is sometimes more fun because everybody gets in on the action If you're going to go tuna fishing, the river is very, very cold right now. You need to prepare for 45-degree water temperature and running 40 miles an hour in that bundle up something your face your head your hands you're going to be cold it's a long ride down the river it's
2: kind of like a duck hunt
3: exactly but it's it's a long ride it's very cold once you get out into the dirty water it's still going to be cold but as you move further out into the blue water you're going to start shedding layers with the with the water change because the temperature is going to warm up so you have to do think of it like a hunting trip in the sense that you want to have multiple layers and definitely something waterproof because if you get wet this time of year you're going to be miserable It's going to be cold. Even if it's a sunny day, you're going to be uncomfortable because that cold air is going to be around for a while. So something waterproof and multiple layers. Make sure you wear your sunscreen, too, because even though it's not warm out yet, the sun is fierce, and you forget, I think, a lot of times when it's not warm to Mm -hmm. wear sunscreen. A lot of people get some really nasty sunburns this time of year. The wahoo fishing is a trolling type of fishing, and that is pretty good right now, too. If you're going to book a trip, tell your guide what you want to do if you want to tuna fish because they're going to use completely different gear for wahoo and tuna so different locations it'll give them a game plan if you want wahoo you're probably going to stick with that and load up on those if you want yellowfin they're going to be using different gear and different styles Uh, Sword fishing year-round that's always out there but now is traditionally the type time of year for bigger tunas and in the next few weeks february always books up March always books up because that's when we go lump fishing, and that's where we use uh, dead bait on a closer area for some big tuna. But they haven't really been there yet. So the next two months are always traditionally, so to speak, great fishing if you get the weather to cooperate. Another big problem that we face in this time of year is the fog, Mm
2: -hmm. especially
3: as we get a little later into February when it warms up a little bit. The fog can be a pretty pretty uh, clinching situation running down the river. I've been in days, I remember a day last spring, or winter, I should say, where we rode all the way down the river in the fog, all the way out into the Gulf, and all the way to our destination, 25 miles offshore, still in the fog. We had 30 boats around us, and we couldn't see one of them. So Mm. radar, 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 very important. If you are taking a private boat and you do not have radar, you do not need to be going out there, because there are... As Ryan Lambert mentioned earlier, tremendous amounts of debris in the river. A lot of them are submerged or barely sticking out, so you always want to have one eye looking forward and one eye on the radar, whether that means two people. Mm-hmm. So if we're running in the fog, I'm looking forward and my captain's running on radar. So I need to be his eyes facing forward and he's at the eyes on the radar. So it's the Mississippi River is nothing to mess with this time of year. If you don't know what you're doing, it's best to find somebody who does.
2: All right, so the average person that wants to fish tuna in Wahoo – They're not going to run out and buy a boat and get all the gear. It's very, very expensive. So most people do take a charter trip. What do people know before they go as far as the level of skill of the anglers? Can you bring kids out there? Give us a typical day of when it starts and what you encounter when you go out there.
3: I would not necessarily want to take somebody younger than maybe 14 or 15 because it is such a long day. It's typically in not the most pleasant weather. And the fishing is very physical. That's not to say you can't. You definitely can. But kind of go with what you know about your child. Um, Those are usually larger fish, both wahoo and tuna. And it is a a little more advanced level of fishing. So the younger children, maybe not the best type of fishing for it. Um, It's a long day. You're going to be hanging out about 6.30 in the morning. If you're lucky, you'll be in by 2 or 3, but sometimes it might be 5 or 6. So prepare for a 12-hour day and hope for maybe an 8-hour day. And uh, bring your ice chest, bring drinks, stay hydrated on the boat. Make sure you have your three-day charter pass. Um, That's something you can get from Wildlife and Fisheries. It's not a fishing license. It is a pass that it's more affordable. So if you're only going to go fishing with a guide and you're only going to fish two to three days tops, you can just buy this $10 charter pass. And that's cheaper than buying, say, a seven-day out-of-state license.
2: In case you're wondering how Martha knows so much about this, it's because she's a charter boat licensed captain. She also works on Southern Catch Charters and been doing it now for a couple of years. Um, so when you get people who insist on bringing their own gear out there, <laughs> what, what do you – yeah, you laughed. What do you tell them? Uh, you know?
3: We don't ban it. We don't say, no, you can't bring your own gear. But I would suggest letting the guide use their gear. I mean – they know what the, what the setup is. Most of these charters down there are going to have top-of-the-line gear, and they're going to know what equipment to use for what species, what size reel, what line test. Um, I'll never forget seeing, I'm not going to say who, but a captain last year had a guy <laughs> with a rod and about 130 wide, which is basically a marlin reel, mm-hmm. out catching tuna. And the rod was so big and so stiff, you couldn't see the bite and it was just way too much for what he was fishing for, but he insisted on bringing it. The guide is going to know what style, what strength, and what type of equipment you're going to need. Um, you're not going to be able to catch topwater tuna with a traditional tuna reel. You're going to need a spinning reel, something you can cast at them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just, if you're paying the money for a charter, why not let them use their gear? If something breaks or something gets lost, you know, it's it's not your equipment that's going out there. So, they're gonna have the best stuff for it traditionally Shimano pen um, that sort of thing.
2: Um, all right so as far as what they need to bring on the boat as far as food and drink yeah bring a sa- you bring, know, bring
3: some snacks bring good boat snacks. Um, sandwiches are always good crackers chips um that's whatever sort of you like to eat right <laughs> yeah bring enough to share um you do get a little more hunger some people i don't know it goes one way or the other either you're one of those people that eats more than you normally would mm-hmm. or you don't eat at all i've seen both sides there's never you're not you're never really eating what you normally eat i think people either get more hungry or they just choose not to eat oh another thing to mention if you are prone to seasickness or you think you might be err on the side of caution Now, if you're going to take Dramamine, I suggest you take it the night before because if you take it the morning of. Too late. It's too late and it's not going to work. And it's not going to work if you take it on the boat because you're already feeling that uh, inner ear problem. Um, You can also go to your doctor and take the Scopolamine patch, which is about 30 bucks, I think, for a box of two or three patches. A little more expensive, but you don't get the grogginess you do with the Dramamine. The only thing I suggest for both of those is to not drink alcohol the night before and stay hydrated when you get on the boat, because if you are if feeling any faintness of seasickness being dehydrated will escalate it.
2: If you become sick or someone in your party does, what do y'all do? How do you handle that? Well,, you know, they're going to want to go in, but you know that- we
3: try to encourage them to st- stick it out. You mm-hmm. know They made such a haul to get down there, It's such a long drive, such a long boat ride um we've had days where the majority of the boat's been sick and we've just said all right we're going in because mm-hmm. they've been so miserable nobody's there to catch yeah. fish if it's one or two people don't make fun of them be supportive everyone's been there i've been seasick it's not fun it's worse than your worst hangover it is the worst <laughs> pain and you cannot get a grip on it so just encourage them what i like to do is i'll give customers a towel a wet towel with some ice in it and tell them to cool their forehead never look down at the water look out at the horizon sip don't chug, but sip on some Gatorade or some water, and just try, because you know there's five other people on the boat that really want to fish. So we've got bean bags; you can curl up in a bean bag, get yourself company, uh, get yourself comfy, and put a bucket next to you. Um, once you get into the river, that seasickness will vanish. Once you get onto flat water, it'll there's go land, away. It's, it's top, just yeah. that rocking, mm. whether it's forward, backwards, or sideways. Once you get into some still water or no waves, you're going to instantly feel better. So you'll be su- surprised how fast you shake it off once you get into stable water.
2: All right. So there's always a question comes up, you know, you're always at the mercy of the weather when you're fishing offshore. This time of the year, particularly bad because we still get a lot of frontal systems. Right. All right. Who makes the call? I've, I've had people who, who, you know, a lot of times they're coming from a long way. Uh, some people have flown in. They've put a lot into this trip, and they get to the dock, and they say, well, look, it's not going to be pretty out there when you know, and then they make the decision, well, look, we're here, let's go, and then they have a bad day, and then they want to complain. How do you where is that happy medium between the captain and the operator of the boat telling these people, "Look, we're not going, it's absolutely not safe, or where they say, "Look, it's your call, if you want to go, it's going to be bouncy and rough, and we may not have a great day, but it's it's on you how, how do you
3: It's generally always the customer's decision. Most of the time, if you're an experienced angler, for, but the captain was going to say, we can fish in this, but you may not enjoy it. Um, a a rough day on the water without the fish biting can be the worst day ever. A rough day with the fish biting, you don't think about the rough weather as much. But what I do say, if if the captain is erring on the side of caution to trust their advice, because if they don't want to go out and fish in it, you're probably not going to enjoy it either. Traditionally, they'll make the call about 24 hours out. Unfortunately, that does put people in Venice and sometimes not on a boat. But if they're saying not to go, it's generally in your best interest not to. Now, there are people that will complain on marginally fishable days where the guide absolutely says no. If you're finding somebody that's making a hard-pressed decision all the time, you might want to look for somebody else. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's going to really depend on your customers. It's going to depend on your boat. And it's going to depend on what you're comfortable fishing in. So we typically, we rarely cancel, but when we do, you know it's bad. And when we leave it up to the customer, and error that it's going to be rough, it's kind of their call. How bad do they want it?
2: Are there boat captains that want to get the trip in? They want yes. to get paid, yes. and they will actually not maybe explain as bad as it's going to be that yes, they should.
3: there are. Um, yeah. You have to be careful. Uh, ask around. Uh, talk to people that have been out, check forums, because people that have bad trips tend to talk about them. Mm
2: -hmm. Um, It's kind of like the review system, but you've got to take it with a grain of salt sometimes. some
3: boats, once they leave the dock, that's a trip and they're getting paid. Mm -hmm. Some boats will say, all right, you only have to pay for fuel for what we burned. But some boats, once it's left from the dock, that's a trip. If they make it out into the Gulf, then whether you even fish or not, you know, that's what your trip is. All right,
2: last point of discussion before we get to Chris LeCock, and we're going to go into detail about Season 4 by Bayou Wild TV and give you a sneak preview. Cost, what can somebody expect to pay for the trip, including everything? The tip and the fish cleaning, if there's that, and fuel costs. How, what are they Depending
3: on who you book with, some charters will do all-inclusive with fuel, meaning the fishing trip plus fuel. Some will do the fishing trip and then make you pay for fuel because the fuel bill will fluctuate. So you might find one that's, say, $2,400. That's your trip and fuel. All the, fishes in, all the fishing includes cleaning and tackle. You need to bring your own food and beverage. And uh, some charters charge for ice. We do not. But traditionally, you're looking at between $2,400 and $2,700. It really depends on how far you run and if you're booking with a all-inclusive it's, it, it depends. If you're thinking that's not the way to go, you know, we do we do our flat rate 1750 plus fuel because some trips might be a very small fuel day and some days we might have to go. And Seems fair fish, that way. Yeah. If you want to go to the fish, you know, we'll always give you the option, hey, we're running 150 miles today. It's going to be a larger fuel bill, but that's where we have to go. And the customers say, well, I don't really want to do that. What can we do that's closer? Or they say, yeah, let's go for it. But we're never going to tell the customer or not tell the customer, hey, we're making an exceptional run today and, and have them have sticker shock because that's just not good for business. So. so
2: number of people really doesn't matter that much, whether six it's six people, people or four people or two people, yeah. same cost.
3: Same cost, yep. It's not a per-person operation like inshore fishing. There's too much involved in it to make it uh, universal, so it has to be an all-boat. So you're booking the boat up to six people. That's what all the charter boats down there are licensed for.
2: Uh, okay, um, tipping and this is a question real close yes. to your heart because you, you live on tips. And someone just asked, do yeah. I tip the shrimp yeah. guy? You know, you tip- what, what typically, uh, how do you rate tipping? You know, everybody's got a rule, 15%, 20%, sometimes 10 on a, on a meal for a waitress. But what about a, well, a, a charter so trip? Well, your captain
3: is, is making the money. Your captain is not usually taking the tip out of what you pay. So the captain's pay is coming from the trip. The deckhand's pay is coming from the tip. Nine times out of ten. Occasionally there's a captain that will have a built-in day pay. Most do not because most of them assume that they worked well enough to receive a tip. So consider your deckhand, your server, and tip them based on how well they treat you. If they're working hard, don't base that tip on how much fish you catch because we know fish don't bite some days, and those captains and deckhands want to catch fish as bad as you, if not worse. (laughs) So it's very frustrating to get a bad tip based on the amount of fish you bring home really base it on the effort made the work put in what you see them doing and i would say tip them you know 15 to 20 percent is pretty standard sometimes more sometimes less based on you but know that they're going out there and they're getting there before you are and they're leaving after you so it's not an eight hour day for anybody that works on a boat
2: some boats have more than one deckhand do you tip them equally do you Double up. I only? don't know
3: much about that. I only know one mm-hmm. boat down there that works with two deckhands, and um,
2: well, a lot of the bottom fishing rigs do because there's so many people. On right. The boat if it's there. a head boat where there's more yeah, than right. six
3: people, make sure you take care of all the deckhands, and mm-hmm. you can. I'm not really sure how to do that, but <laughs> consider how many people are on the boat and how many people might be tipping them. I guess I would yeah. say, but. Mm-hmm. For 95% of the boats down there, it's going to be one mate, one captain.
2: All right, there you have it, offshore fishing springtime, Louisiana 101 with Martha Spencer. we come back after this, Chris LeCock joins us, going to talk in detail about Season 4 of Bayou Wild, some of the features you're going to see, and some of the things we're not going to see. We'll be back right after this. It's more outdoors. You're listening to it on WWL 105.3 FM HD2 Radio and also on the radio.com app. And joining us now is the editor for Bayou Wild Television, Chris LeCocq, and he joins us now to try a preview for us, Season 4. Martha, what was one of your favorite shoots that we got coming up in Season 4?
3: Mm, so many good ones. I actually really did enjoy the taxidermy one because it was so left field for us. We did this really neat taxidermy shoot with some, I would call them artists, uh, mm-hmm. from New Orleans and from the Midwest, and learned a lot about the other side of taxidermy, which would be the artistic realm that is used for more interior design, and it, you know, it, it's based on the same principles as taxidermy for fish and game, but it's just used in a different um, outlet, and I thought that was really neat to hear the, the full spectrum of that.
2: Yeah, it was a great tease that was put together because it's got me wanting to see the rest of it. All right, Chris joins us again, and uh, Chris, where we left off, maybe you can talk about some more of these upcoming features that we have for Season 4 and a little more detail about what they were about and who, what, where, and why. Yeah, well, I'll mention that uh,
0: the taxidermy feature first, since you all just mentioned it. Uh, uh, first, I'll show that we got that idea from a from a friend of ours, from a, a viewer, a friend of Don. So that's a lot of ideas that we get come from come from the audience. Don, you've been doing it on the radio show for the last few weeks, right? Tell us who you want, what you want to see, what you want us to do. um, yeah. Some of the ideas and the stories that we follow, we generate ourselves through our contacts, but a lot of it does come through people other people that we associate with. So that's put, first off a pretty neat angle to it that somebody saw it in themselves to say, hey, y'all might like to do this. This is interesting. Um, and I, I'll say on that taxidermy that feature, too, one of the neat things that I got out of that is when you're going to watch it, you're going to say, well, who has peacocks and Uh, parakeets, and all these exotic animals, nobody hunts those. And you're right, nobody hunts those animals. But what the interview explains is animals naturally die. Animals in captivity, animals in the wild, animals people have as pets naturally die. And people like to preserve them if they're a pet or if it's just a beautiful animal. And I think that's something that any outdoors man or woman can appreciate nature. And I think that's the interesting part about taxidermy. feature is that, no, it's not a deer mount or a duck mount like you'd normally see, but it's appreciating the beauty of a natural animal, no matter the species. And that's, I think, one of the interesting angles about that taxidermy piece that we explore is that that type of uh, profession appeals
2: to not just hunters
0: and fishermen, but other people also.
2: Now we also have our uh, Cajun invasion of South Dakota coming up, right?
0: Absolutely. That uh, the Cajun invasion South Dakota trip will be um, it'll it'll actually air the second show of this new season, so not this coming week, but the next. And uh, in the editing process, I'm about probably eighty percent edited that right now, and it's, so far it's coming together pretty well. It's going to be a pretty fun episode showing. One, the beauty of that area, even in November where everything is brown, it's still a different landscape that we're not used to seeing here with rolling hills and miles and miles of corn and sorghum fields that has a pretty unique look on their own. But then also the challenge of hunting pheasant, hunting wild pheasant. And uh, Martha can attest to that. Just as good as anybody that's done it for the first time, and she had a a big challenge, and I think you'll uh, you'll see that in the feature that it's not – uh it's not a an easy thing to do hunting it is sometimes 100% is, uh... not
3: like shooting a bird from a tower that's for sure <laughs>
0: <laughs> well a, a lot of times the, the reason why people hunt is because there's a challenge involved and you're not always guaranteed that you're going to be successful but you right. you bring it upon yourself to uh i guess have a plan and formulate the plan and execute the plan <laughs> so that's speaking i guess maybe in like sports terms but that's uh that's kind of how it is, but then it's also to experience something different. I think a lot of uh, a lot of bird hunters in South Louisiana are used to dove and duck, and have probably never walked 15 miles in the course of two and a half days to shoot nine pheasant. But <laughs> we do it on the show. I'll tell you what, though, that.
3: the walking really surprised me at how not hard it was. I was expecting to be more tired. And I was, you know, comfortably tired at the end of the day, but I wasn't to the point where I was thinking I would. Don, was that an average amount of walking we did or a little less or pretty standard? Mm,
2: that's about average. But what made it different, it was so much mud. Yeah. If you remember the mud, oh, yeah. you know, your shoes, your shoes got three times the size from the boots. Uh, and that made a little bit uh, of a challenge. But, yeah, it's it's about average what you'd walk. And it's, well, it's uh, just it's a walk sport. I'll say this,
0: and, Don, you can probably attest to this because you've done this trip. Cajun invasion several times but uh, I think the walking would have been a lot uh, not as easy if it would have been 20 degrees of snow on the ground I think we lucked up with the weather <laughs> and the temperatures where it was it was fairly mild climate for what South I was Dakota shedding layers
3: <laughs> I was surprised yeah, yeah.
0: exactly right. so I
2: think if, uh, if, it been,
0: if it would have been teens and 20s with snow we might have a different we might be having a different conversation about how easy the 15 miles of walking uh, right. Per day,
2: work. <laughs> Well, when when the snow is drifted up there, I, I compare it to when you're surf fishing and you're walking in thigh-deep water and you're pushing that water with your legs. That's kind of what it's like, except it's snow when, when you get the snowfall. But, by the way, the Cajun invasion for South Dakota for next year, the dates are set, and we're going to be having the flyer up on the website for people that might want to come to that. You know, another feature that's different that, than what you'd normally see on most outdoor shows that we worked on was the Dixie Ranch. You know, I think there's a lot of culture and heritage and, and, and stuff that went into that, and, and you really get the true feeling of what people are into the outdoors all about and how families and friends for years and years get to enjoy that. And I think you enjoyed shooting that, Chris.
0: Yeah, and that that's something that uh, I think through our continued efforts at Bayou Wild, we're starting to explore more and more of that. People get together every single weekend to hunt, fish, families, friends, what have you, and they're not always successful, but they continue to do it every single weekend. And I think that's what that feature is going to—it's uh, going to bring more to light that it's not the, the harvesting the deer or the ducks or the fish. That's a part of it. You want to do that because you want to, you know, provide meat for your family or fish for your family or have that trophy animal, but you do it because you enjoy those experiences with other like-minded people. And it's what families have been doing in Louisiana for generations and in other parts of the country for generations too. So that's, that's something that we're starting to explore more and more of. You're not, you're not always just going to see the hunting and fishing high-flying action that you might normally see on a lot of other outdoor shows. We, we get more into the personal nature of a hunter and a fisherman and what it means to them
2: Chris, we're going to take a break here, and we come back. Um, maybe I, I, you know, we may be jumping ahead here by not telling people where they can see you Wild TV, because a lot of people may be hearing about the program for the first time, and get you to give us a complete rundown on all the, because it is a little complicated, the systems, the the networks, and the channels, and times where you can find the show. We'll be back to do that right after this quick break, and then coming up after the top of the hour, we talk about waterfowl season. How bad was your waterfowl season, or how good was it? We're going to talk to some Flyway Federation members and get their take on it and discuss what I consider a crisis of waterfowl hunting in not just Louisiana, but other southern states also. We're back right after this. You know, one of the uh, features before we get to the the channels and times and dates and locations where you can watch by UWild TV, one of the features that's going to be coming up in Season 4 we haven't talked a lot about was Hunters for the Hungry. Right. What a great feature that was, actually done in two parts. And, Chris, when will that air? And maybe explain a little bit more about that show.
0: Yeah, so the the show for Hunters for the Hungry is going to be our premiere episode that's going to air um, this coming week. The first airing will be Thursday night. And uh, what what we did on this episode is we partnered up with group Hunters for the Hungry is based here in Baton Rouge that they donate um, fish and game to food pantries across the state. And if you go read a little bit more on their website, it's incredible what they do. But we kind of... Um, Highlight what they do in video, but we also partner up with uh, Will Clark, Major League former Major League baseball player. He didn't play uh, baseball, college or pros anywhere near Louisiana, but he's from Louisiana and he's a proud sportsman from Louisiana. So we teamed up with him and Hunters for the Hungry to demonstrate how easy it is to donate meat or shoot a deer and donate it yourself if you have an abundance. Section game every year or if you just want to give back if you just want to you know do something and to I help folks, somebody who...
3: yeah i think folks will be surprised to when i'm not going to give away the number but in the show they'll learn how much food actually gets donated per year from hunters and anglers
0: yeah and i think uh, i don't remember the figure offhand but i
3: do i'm going to save it for the show though
0: <laughs> well it was it's uh, in the five figures yeah, yes. tens of thousands of pounds of meat were donated just last year alone through individual efforts and their annual Clean Out Your Freezer Day. And, um, yeah, so we will highlight a hunt with Will Clark who we went to the island, a place that you've seen before on Bayou Wild TV, and we harvested an animal to donate to Hunter for the Hungry. But then we also joined a group of their volunteers about a week later at St. Vincent de Paul uh, Food Kitchen in Baton Rouge and helped serve the food that is donated to Hunters for the Hungry. So we kind of showed it full circle how easy it is to get involved if you want to get involved with in an organization like that and kind of show that, you know, hunters do care about everybody else. Even you know, A lot of times when you go hunting, you have your own interests. You want to go and hunt and harvest an animal yourself because you have a personal reason to do so. But there's a whole group of hunters that also do it because there's ways that they can give that to other people and that's what we highlight in that episode which will be this coming week.
2: Martha, I think we have some breaking news. I believe you got drafted into working for Hunters for the Hungry. <laughs> well, I,
3: I, I drafted myself. I, um, I just really love the organization and what they do and it just, you know, having been new to the state and jumping into hunting and fishing and seeing my freezer and sometimes it overflowing with mm-hmm. just a two-person household, I wanted to see how they could use me to help so They did not have a drop-off location in the Mandeville-Covington area. They did have, I believe, Slidell and the South Shore and um, Metairie. But I'm going to be working this year to secure locations, if not one, maybe two, Mm -hmm. in the Mandeville-Covington area. I've got a couple ideas already for locations to make it more accessible for people to bring their fish and game. And and the date will be in September. It's usually about a month before hunting season really gears Mm -hmm. up, right when people need to kind of clean out what got lost or buried, and and they don't mind if it's a little compromised in terms of ice or whatever. But you know they want food that's packaged properly. Maybe it's just something that uh, you just don't think you have time to eat or give away. And they use it all, and they they uh, they grind it, they make chili, they make lasagna, and they do all sorts of stuff. And it really is it's a great way. It helps you get ready for the next season, but you really feel good about where your food goes.
2: Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll, you know, I know you can also help them with the fish collection. Right, right. They're trying to expand more into that.
3: And that's one thing that I don't think people think of when they hear the term hunters for the hungry, but it's anglers, too, and there's a lot of fish that goes to waste that could be better used.
2: I wish I could show this on the radio, but I'm going to show you. One of our listeners just sent me a picture of how fat those hogs
3: are. Three big, three little piggies. Three little piggies,
2: three big piggies. Well, that's one thing. Feral hogs, they won't accept. They're trying to work on that, but.
3: Well, they will if they've been processed, at, processed a, at, a, at a facility.
2: At, right, but you can't just give them the raw meat. Chris, before we run out of time, I'll let everyone know the complete rundown. It's a little bit confusing. <laughs> uh, you know, television is not as simple as it used to be. There was a date and time where every program came on. Not so much anymore. Explain how they can view the program if they haven't seen it.
0: Yeah, so there's uh, broadcast TV-wise, there's six different networks that carry Bayou Wild. So you can imagine between six different networks and – several different air times on each one it can be kind of confusing if you don't know exactly what you're looking for so i'd say the easiest way would be to go by TV.com. and there's a tab at the top that says show schedule and it'll list all the, the channels that you might have in your area and then for people nowadays most people are becoming more and more tech savvy youtubecom TV. and you can click that subscribe button and get notifications every time a new show is uploaded because we upload full shows every week. But we also upload sometimes a little smaller features and extended features. So it's not just one show uploaded every week. Some weeks we have bonus things. Actually, if you go there right now, you can see about five or six little promos of this coming season. So you can kind of get an idea of some of the stuff that we been working on that you're going to see, not all of it, but some of the stuff. And uh, Martha sent me a message uh, during the break and uh asks about her dad's debut so you might want to keep an eye out for that <laughs> think of uh think of the movie <laughs> the, man the man that created man. this You'll Oh get a my lot god, of god. Insight I can't wait to see I that. Am who I am.
3: <laughs> all, <laughs> all right
2: and you can also binge watch for <laughs> yeah. if oh, you yeah. go to BayouWildTV.com, you can binge watch and watch all the past episodes Chris have a great day thanks for sharing that info have with us we really appreciate a, it Have fun you Absolutely all right come